0: Thanks for joining us this week on the podcast. I am so excited to bring to you an episode from the vault. This is a conversation I had with Dr. Ailey Cohen as a part of the Thriving Life Summit at the end of last year. She has done groundbreaking work in collecting and sharing information about the toxins and chemicals that are in our home that can be putting our health at risk. This might not be a sexy topic, but it's an important one that she's actually bringing into curriculum in high school so that teenagers can make smart choices before they've developed their buying habits. So if you've ever been curious about the potential impact of the products that we drink, eat and put on our bodies and bring into our homes, I think this is going to be a powerfully enlightening episode, and I'm so glad to have you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Would you like to make more of your meditation practice? What if there was a tool that maximized your time and attention with images and affirmations carefully selected to boost your positivity and strengthen your resilience to help you integrate your intentions into your subconscious? I have a special gift available for you. Visit HappifiedLife.com and click on the start off happy button to take a look at the phenomenal technology created by Positive Prime that shares positive images, affirmations, and motivation in a method that literally wires your brain for more happiness, higher productivity, better relationships, and greater success head over to HappifiedLife.com and click on the start off happy button. See a sample video and sign up for your free trial. You can take 10 days to find out how the power of personalizing your own motivational videos by adding images from your photo library will bring you even greater benefits. I know you're going to love this tool. It's become one of my favorite go-tos and an important part of my daily routine. Head over to HappifiedLife.com to start off happy with Positive Prime. Thank you for joining me again today on the Thriving Life Summit. I am so happy to have with me here, in our virtual studio, Dr. Ailey Cohen. She is a phenomenal and very involved and very busy, I don't know how she does it, woman of the world. Dr. Ailey Cohen is a board-certified rheumatologist, integrative medicine specialist, and environmental health expert specializing in arthritis, immune system disorders, and women's health. She is also a passionate educator on the topic of environmental toxins and their impact on our health. Dr. Cohen's practice, Integrative Rheumatology Associates, PC, integrates Western and complementary medical options with modalities including biofeedback, acupuncture, and cognitive therapy while addressing food, sleep, stress, and the environment along the way. She has authored several books, including Non-Toxic Living Healthy in a Chemical World, a volume of Dr. Wheel's Healthy Living Guides that addresses how consumers can reduce their risk of harm due to exposure. Dr. Cohen created the Smart Human LLC to educate colleagues and the community on the potential health risks from exposure to everyday chemicals. You can find those resources on the website, her podcast, and social media platforms at the Smart Human. Dr. Cohen helped the Knowledge Universe Company reduce the chemical exposure of infants and toddlers in over 2,000 care daycares across the U.S. and works with schools to integrate environmental health information into the current health curriculum. Her talk, entitled How to Protect Your Kids from Toxic Chemicals, was featured at TEDx Cape May in 2019. She has been a keynote speaker on stages around the world, appeared on television and radio, written for numerous websites, including WebMD, and has won numerous awards. Dr. Cohen is currently on faculty and writing environmental health curriculum for the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. In the midst of all of this, she's an avid runner and triathlon competitor and lives with her husband and two sons in central New Jersey. And I scored a little bit of time with her today. So thank you so much for dropping in and joining me
1: my pleasure thanks for having me
0: so as i was telling you before we hopped online um environmental health has been a focus of mine since way before it was cool and i believe that you were right there with me just on the other side of the country and so i i love seeing what you've created i've been familiar with your work now for quite a while i love your website and we'll definitely talk more about that and um I'm curious, why why are you passionate about informing people about how chemicals affect our health?
1: Well, um, you know, I guess I fell into this very serendipitously. I mean, as my book talks about in the introduction, which was very important for me to write down, um, you know, I didn't look to be a rheumatologist who, you know, fell into environmental health or even knew what environmental health was. Um, And mind you, we don't learn environmental health or anything about how environment affects human health, including nutrition. I mean, even at the very least nutrition in medical school. So, you know, I really did not look to go into this field. I happened to go into this field because unfortunately about 10 years ago my dog got sick and I had two young babies and the dog got really ill and what I ended up trying to figure out is why he was so ill at such a young age with such an unusual illness which was autoimmune hepatitis and that's unusual for dogs let alone for golden retrievers and you know as an animal lover and he was my firstborn, this was really Um, you know, a heartbreaking situation. And so um, and also, ironically, as an autoimmune disease specialist myself, I felt obligated to figure this out. But as I started to look into what might have made him sick, maybe his dog food was contaminated, maybe that rubber toy he was sucking on all the time um, was leaching chemicals. I didn't know. Maybe it was his pesticide exposure to, you know, we live in a farm in, in central New Jersey. As I was looking into what had maybe caused his immune system to switch on him, to, to trigger him, um, I was uncovering all sorts of really uncomfortable facts and figures about our country in the ways it manages or does not really manage or regulate chemicals for humans and for human exposure. And I think it was really one of these moments where I had to look around at my cat at the time and and try to figure out, you know is this for real? And it began a journey of me trying to find out from the smartest people in the field of environmental health and to partner with them and to join them and to listen to them and to ask them questions to see whether or not this is really the truth. And it turns out it is true. And I had to shout on mountaintops to get this out there because um, the final piece of this is that I'm an autoimmune disease doctor. I'm a, a you know a rheumatologist, but I see everything, including integrative medicine patients. Um, and what I was seeing on the front lines was really the downstream effects of these chemical exposures. And I think that's, that's why the partnership for this book and my textbook with Dr. Vamsal, who's a, a bench researcher, was pretty extraordinary because he's really doing the research that figures out how these chemicals work in the lab. And I'm literally in real time managing patients that are seeing the effects of these chemicals.
0: Yes. And I love that you've already, and, and how could it not from my own point of view, but you've already kind of pulled back the curtain on the connection or the results we're seeing in people with autoimmune disorders right now.
1: Yeah. And so people, you know, one of the questions people have is, well, you know, we now are learning a lot about, we have robust information about endocrine disruption, right? They're called EDCs or endocrine disrupting chemicals. Um, And there's just, you know, the World Health Organization has a huge report from 2012, if people want to look that up, Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Obstetricians, Gynecologists, the Endocrine Society. All of these major medical bodies that are international have position statements on the effects of these chemicals now on human health. Um, And what I think people have a hard time grasping and, and what I'm trying to work through as well with another book that I'm working on now is how not only these chemicals affect the endocrine system, which is really hormone signaling between organs and organ systems and between each other, but also how the immune system is also caught up in the fray and how the immune system is absolutely affected by these chemicals as well. And so that'll be the next, you know, kind of iteration of this environmental health work is, um, you know, looking at the health effects from the immune system perspective.
0: Yes, yes. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about the dates, you know, 2012 is nine years ago. And I've also heard that, you know, that, that process of getting new data into medical schools is about 17, no, getting new data out into the practice, into the field is about 17 years, right? As new doctors get the current research and it works into their education. And then we can actually see the benefit of it. And that, that time-lapse is really hard to see as numbers keep going up on the charts of thyroid dysfunction of behavioral issues and developmental disorders and you know the list goes on and on because our hormones affect every function of our body nothing is <laughs> immune to <laughs> hormone
1: in, dysfunction in terms of your timeline i will get i will give you some information i have now reached out to several deans of medical schools to give them free curriculum on environmental health, be it an hour or be it forty hours that I've written for AIHM, and not only do they tell me no, they tell me that they base their uh, education on what's going to um, work for the board exams. So these are old school, you know, criteria for diseases that have been outdated. Not that they don't have value, but they we have new information, and so you know i'm i'm basically getting on on you know mountaintops and talking about how if we don't educate healthcare practitioners about these issues then just focusing on treatment is missing the point instead of prevention
0: exactly and you said downstream and that's exactly how i saw it when i made my last pivot and decided to get into holistic health and see how I could support people in recognizing how stress leads to so many different diseases and ultimately robs our independence. Because before this, I was working with the senior clients in their eighties and nineties and really seeing the downstream impact of not taking action when we're younger and it's easier. We don't have such a hard course correction when we work upstream. But that education has to come from somewhere and so I love that you're sharing this with schools and adolescents and this passion project of yours um, to bring this awareness as you have said at such an important part in their own growth and development
1: yeah teenagers you know again that was in my introduction because I wanted people to understand sort of how I came across this this topic and how I met you know what my journey was you know, it turned out after having lectured to over 25 major um, hospital institutions at Grand Rounds programs over two or three years, that no one was really listening. I mean, you know, I got claps at the end of the talk, but no one would actually come up to me and, you know, take the resources I was offering them to manage the plastic tubing in their neonatal intensive care units to swap out for less phthalates and P- P-D- um, PDEs. So you know there's chemicals that we now know that are in plastic tubing, in medical uh, IV bags. I mean, it's such an easy swap. So you know, these institutions weren't into change. Um, physical change. And so, you know, it became a very frustrating endeavor, although I learned quite a bit about what the uphill battle is. But what happened was I was in my kitchen one night with uh, my babysitter and I was paying her after she was leaving from watching the kids. And she said to me, oh, you know, you mean my shampoo might be causing me some kind of harm? Like, should I, I, is it toxic? Should I swap out? And I looked at her and I thought to myself, that's it, Eureka, this is the population, these young people who are so attuned to their bodies and self-conscious about their bodies, but also interested in their bodies and also able to maneuver websites and apps and really can figure out if given the right tools that they too can look up their products, they can figure out what's what's safe, what's not safe, they can find their own choices. And that became um, sort of my, uh, my next layer of this mission was let's get this into the hands of people who want it. Let's go where the love is. And I wanted to test this uh, out with two pilot projects that I took, um, undertook at uh, Princeton High School here in Princeton, New Jersey. And they were remarkable, the head of science who opened her doors and really let me do whatever I want. And it turns out after collecting pre and post data on interest, on, on uh, baseline level of understanding, and then post, that these kids really wanted this information and that that really changed everything because we need to go younger if we want to get people thinking about these concepts of what you put in on and around your bodies especially young people who may one day choose to have families and we know that this is a big issue when it comes to pregnancy we know that when you're pregnant that exposures matter uh, exponentially, really. And so if we give these kids the idea to be even careful about what they do with their bodies, they're gonna be that much more careful when they're trying to conceive if they should choose to wanna to do that.
0: Yes, and and I think it's so powerful too, to be talking with them before their buying habits have been ingrained because I my, my toughest test case is my husband. <laughs> when when they've I've done, done that, me. yeah. <laughs> right? I'd like to buy this product. I have this product sitting under the sink, but I just picked up my 409 or my scrubbing bubbles or whatever it is, you know, because this works better. But in a side-by-side test, he can't prove that, but habits die hard. And it feels really overwhelming to make changes, but also to understand when you turn a bottle around, it's
1: Greek. (laughs) Well, it's meant to be Greek, but really independent of being Greek. You know, people don't realize that those chemicals that are Greek on a label are not tested for any safety or toxicity before they go into the product that you're now holding. And it's hard to wrap our head around that there is this imaginary feeling that we have these regulations and government oversight that protects us. When in fact, we have no protections and we have 95,000 chemicals that are now used in all of our products that are not tested before they go into the products we love. And that's a very hard thing for people to wrap their heads around because it's almost like, you know, saying that there's no Santa Claus or, you know, not that there isn't, but, you know, it's like saying that there's, you know, there's something that we grew up believing. It's like having a third of your plate with the starch. You know, we grew up believing we need to have a third of our plate with pasta or rice or or, or, you know, potato chips or potatoes or whatever, when in fact, it turns out that that may not be such a great idea. Turns out.
0: <laughs> we might be finding some evidence otherwise, but it depends yes. on whose numbers you might be looking at. And one thing that I find really interesting is, um, and this has come up as Kraft reformulated their macaroni and cheese because it won't sell in Europe the way they can sell it in the U.S. So they to your point of changing out products that we use in medicine ingredients that we use in food. It's not a deal breaker. It's just that when they don't have to, they'll keep on using the cheap standard processed, easier to come by. We need to do something with this anyway, ingredients that they have. That's true. And in skincare products too. So in Europe, um, they are more aware and they are more present in what is allowed to be used. And I find that really interesting too. And in the, in the U.S. I mean,
1: maybe five ingredients. 11, eleven chemicals in cosmetics. Five, five other chemicals. I'm I'm working on that that exact list in terms of the nuances right now. But it's it's certainly eleven in cosmetics. About five overall, and that includes you know DDT, which is a pesticide, PCBs. Um, there are some components of um, asbestos that can't be used in certain aspects of building construction, but certainly it's still out there. So there are less than 20 chemicals, uh, I would say less than 15 really, that have ever been removed from the U.S. market um, as compared to over 1,200 Uh, in the European Union because they have a much more rigorous regulatory and oversight and testing program. So, you know, it's become a joke that, you know, major companies really do formulate products specifically for the United States that they wouldn't necessarily or they don't get away with in the European market. And um, you could hold side by side two different bottles from two different countries. In fact, that's something I plan to do if we ever get back to traveling is to really show those in real time. Um, You know, because it's one of those things where people don't like being duped. No one likes being duped. And I think we're getting duped. And I think it's, it's, it's resulting in us being sick. And, you know, to some degree or another, obviously not everyone's sick when they put on their lotions and their creams, it's really more of a cumulative exposures over time. But I can assure you that the numbers, when we look at the epidemiology of autoimmune disease, of diabetes, of thyroid cancers and other endocrine cancers that are hormone sensitive, of um, obesity, of infertility, um, of um, male genitalia changes in terms of phthalate exposure. um, You know, when we look at all of these numbers, they did not rise exponentially from just random genetic mutation. These are exposure related associated, um, you know, changes and, and that's a real problem. Yes. And,
0: um, one thing that I think some people, as they start to tune in, I mean, the BPA free became a big thing. We all became aware that BPA is bad. And so the BPA bottles became a marketing ploy, frankly, but, um, we don't know that the alternative is safer necessarily we've changed the molecules around but we don't know what that means for us and it's still in a lot of the linings of food cans and a lot of places where we might be surprised to find it
1: yeah bpa was only removed and that was really and i'll hold up the book because my co-author dr frederick vom Saal. i guess this might be backwards but oh well i don't know um Frederick von Sal is a sort of one of those thousands of unsung heroes that really do their work quietly and fastidiously and um, with very little popular media recognition because their work doesn't require that, nor are they in it for that reason. And, you know, he is just a remarkable human being because he was one of the first and he had colleagues that really found out that bisphenol A or BPA was an endocrine disruptor, was one of the first ones um, really found to be not only, you know, Able to disrupt um, hormones, but really mimic estrogen at low levels, block androgen levels, which is the male hormone levels, um, and also that it's so pervasive. I mean, it's one of the most um, u- utilized chemicals in all of our market because it essentially makes plastic soft. I'm sorry, hard and and phthalates usually make plastics on you know softer. Um, And so BPA, which was found to do, you know, to have uh, hormone-related issues, it was fought with all of the science that was discovered to remove that from plastic baby bottles in 2012 in the U.S. market. Now, that being said, if it's so bad that we have to take it out of plastic baby bottles, why are we not taking it out of plastic, I mean, metal cans, like aluminum cans, which serve babies, or cans of, of... you know, uh, baby formula that serve babies because it's in the lining of all aluminum cans in this country and around the world because it lines the can so that the food does not make contact with the metal. And so this can be our diet sodas and our favorite organic fruits and vegetables in cans and tomato paste, but it's still in cans independently of whether the food it contains is organic or, you know, healthy or whatever you want to call it. But You know, the idea that we were so limited in our ability to remove BPA from more products is really, I think, a failure of our system. Um, You know, what they did since that time is that they've said BPA free on, on many plastics, including, you know, water drinking bottles and baby bottles, and yet they can actually substitute with BPS. BPSIP, BPFP, there are literally hundreds if not thousands of bisphenols that are substitutions. They're calling them regrettable substitutions because now it's a -a whack-a-mole and they just substitute in a different polymer for BPA and call it BPA-free, which is just another way we're getting duped. So one way to get around that because we're here is just basically remove plastics as much as you can from your life and then you don't have to worry about the duping it also means switching from canned foods if as much as you can to frozen uh, foods and then transferring food that's frozen into glass or stainless steel when you when you heat it up so you're not heating up any plastics around your food or drinks so that's really a big um, swap out that actually has a lot, uh, of benefit because we do know that those levels will drop in urine when BPA is tested after making some of those healthy lifestyle swaps.
0: Yes. And I'm so glad that you brought this up. Um, because I believe that you advocate and, and, and I do as well, that, any change, a small change is better than nothing. And feeling like you have to go 180 and live a clean life. is So overwhelming that we never get started. So what's your recommendation to people when their eyes glaze over and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to throw out everything that's in my house.
1: (laughs) Well, I start, well, first of all, tying this back to the work you do with stress as an environmental component of environmental health. Remember, it's not just chemicals, environmental health. It's other things. It's stress, it's sleep, it's light pollution, air pollution, it's, uh, you know, noise pollution, it's poor sleep, it's drinking water, which is a big issue of mine. So, you know, environmental health is anything that's outside the body that affects human health. Um, What I tell people, patients, and this is really kind of interesting, is when I first was learning this material, I was on a ledge. I mean, I was like, are you kidding? Pretty much 24 hours a day.
0: With little babies in the house. I mean, your little little boys. The dog
1: that was dying or had passed away, you know, with new pets in the house. You know, with family history of all sorts of illnesses, from heart disease to breast cancer. I mean, you know, it was one of those things. living in a farm on with glyphosate being sprayed out my back door, which is literally true and still goes on, which I have to manage with the farmers that live locally. You know. I was really like, what do I do? Do I pick up and just leave? Do I go? Well, it turns out that there's studies of people in remote component parts of Maine and Alaska that have very high levels of certain chemicals in their blood and urine despite living off the grid. So that wasn't a great answer. The answer is not to leave because you're really not going to go anywhere, okay? That's not going to be in some way you're exposed to some kind of industrial chemical. Um, But that being said, we can make changes we can make a dent in our body's exposure our body burden and that's what i wanted to focus on and so i went from being on the ledge to calmly incorporating how do we do this with a real life with kids with busy you know work schedules with maybe not enough money to buy a new couch that doesn't have flame retardants and it took us six years to get rid of our our flame retardant couches I could have gotten rid of them next day but where would anyone sit. So, you know, you have to think about you know, how does life play into this? And so this book was written as if I if I had had it back then I would have been off the ledge. It was written so that people can dive in on their own journey at their own timing and focus on things that matter to them. So, there's a whole chapter on drinking water. There's a whole chapter on personal care products. You know, sharing that with your teenagers would be great. Um, there's a whole chapter on radiation and how to manage, not get rid of necessarily all of our radiation toys, our tech toys. You know, I have a cell phone, I have a computer, I have everything, but how I use them and how I tell my kids to use them will lower their radiation exposure over time. That's even more important. So, you know, the idea is to have these chapters available for people to dive in when they're ready. Also, I pushed for a, um, a refrigerator kind of tear off sheet at the back, which means that you can go and do some really simple stuff really quickly if you so choose. That's not going to be so stressful but really, um, easy and high yield. I want to do things through, you know, kind of high yield to low yield.
0: Yes. And, and I love that you've created these tools and that, you know, quick resource because, you know, any, any action is better than none. Choose one area, one cabinet, one room right, and, and get started. And, and I love, um, when in your Ted talk, I think you talked about, um, paying attention for just one day to everything we encounter as we move yeah. through life, because yeah. it's, it's a bit mind boggling just how much yeah. we do from the rolling out of the bed, as you said, flame retardants on mattresses and, um, furnishings. And, uh, did that change also in around 2012, but again, maybe just a little bit different or 2016 perhaps. So some newer items, I believe it's easier to
1: find for, for flame retardants. Do you mean? Yes. Yeah, so it was actually in 2013 because it's called TV 117, you see, this is, this is what happens when you have kids, your brain chemistry, everything just comes out your ear. So um, what I did was in the book, I wanted to show people the story and tell them the real story behind flame retardant chemicals, which were actually put into um, products and basically home furnishings and mostly couches and baby products. Um, in 1975, because what was uh, behind it was that there was supposed to be an increase in burn time by 12 seconds, if God forbid, uh, a, a cigarette was dropped onto a couch, it would smolder because of these chemicals in the couch and not light up and give people 12 seconds to get out of the house safely. Well, that sounds all good and true and altruistic, but guess who was behind it? The cigarette industry. And this was actually um, they didn't want to change their formula. They didn't want to lose you know, market share. And so this was actually exposed through an incredible Pulitzer Prize winning piece, a series from the Chicago um, Tribune. And so I talk about that and give references to that so people can deep dive it. But essentially, you know what we now know about those chemicals is that they've gotten to our bloodstream, they've gotten to our children, they were in pajamas that had to be removed because the kids were having very high levels of these chemicals in their blood. Um, and then those chemicals were related to, as, as mentioned, these are endocrine disruption chemicals. So they were having effects on thyroid and hormones, and um, and estrogen levels, and androgen levels, and so it's really become quite an issue. Um, since that time in 19, uh, in 2013, actually, they lobbied, uh, it, you know, they wanted to reverse this. And so California did reverse this. And so now when you look for furniture, you can actually look at the label that says TB117, which was at the, actually the original fund uh, uh, bill. And then it has a dash 2013, which means that that product no longer has flame retardant chemicals added. And so I actually have real life pictures in the book of my chair and my couch and all this stuff, because as I've been going through this journey, I've been taking pictures and I've been documenting, I've been posting on the smart human. I mean, even today or yesterday or the other day, I, you know, I post on things that I'm going through life, showing the crazy that's going on and why we're not sort of alert to it. So people will start to You know, I think get a feel for the crazy out there in terms of what they're doing just by getting sort of dipping their toe into the process. And that was really the purpose of the book, is to get people started and then it would start to unfold for them.
0: I'm so glad that you're up on this mountaintop. And I'm glad that this, right? I don't work for anyone. I I think
1: that's why I can't get fired. You know, I'm not kidding. I swear. I think there's a lot of people that would love to talk truth to the world, to their patients, to the, to everything, or have more time to even talk about anything, um, including my medical colleagues. I just don't think the system supports it. And so, you know, when you when you work for someone or a system and you have to worry about the words you say, I think it's really quite um, you know, muting. So, you know, I do count myself lucky because I'm trying to set up a situation where I can still talk truth and still make an income. So it's one of those things that I've chosen. And, um, you know, I think that that, that that's a rarity. So I I'm blessed in, in doing so.
0: And, and, and we're all grateful that you're, you're standing in your own space and, and, you know, because it is, there's, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot going on. Um, you're talking about um, flame retardant chemicals. And I'm thinking about the news this morning that the new um, environment bill that's going through the government right now actually addresses some super cleanup sites. Mm. And there's such a problem with these chemicals in our environment, especially around military bases and so many other industrial areas. And the impact that has on the people in the area, the earth itself and what we're eating, growing from it, but our water. And and so I I'm, I appreciate too that
1: you um, keep trying to shine a light on the safety of our water supplies too. Yeah, drinking water. <clears throat> and you know, it's funny out of all the things I could be pissed at, you know, and I'm pissed at a lot of stuff, which is probably good from my childhood, you know, to have a good focus, healthy energy to like be angry at. Um, I'm just kidding, mom and dad. But anyway, the point is, is that, you know, out of all of the topics, and there are a lot to be really upset about, I'm most angry about drinking water. And I think the reason is, is that, again, I feel duped. I feel like you know we haven't upped our systems since 1974, since the Safe Drinking Water Act, which only covers 91 chemicals at all of the 160,000 water treatment, the waste treatment water plants that we have in this country that serve 83, 86% of the country as opposed to wells. That you know, we have military bases that have PFAS chemicals that are terribly toxic and and last forever because of their fluorine component component in their in the matrix of their compound in the um, structure of their compound. Um, and there are thousands of different PFAS chemicals. And then I'm also angry at the Superfund sites, the brownfield sites, you know, and all the fracking, the coal ash the you know the 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 uh, agricultural runoff into streams and lakes that are allowed to do so you know when we have flooding when we have tornadoes when we have hurricanes we also have release of a lot of these chemicals into our bodies of water that do become our drinking water so there's nothing like you know an escape and an out these chemicals all come back into us and we kind of throw them down the drain and throw them in the toilet, even medications, but they're not washed off in these water treatment plant plants. So, you know, where are they going? They're going right back into our bodies. And, you know, so when I talk about water and its, and its vitality and how important it is to the human body composition and all the things that clean water does for the body, it's almost, um, you know, one of those things where if I had to pick one major thing for people to consider changing in their lives, it's drinking water filtration and encouraging everyone to just filter their water. The amount and the, the type of filtration is not cost prohibitive anymore. Um, really many people can um, you know, find a filter that fits their life. And um, I had a comment from a colleague in medicine on a big Facebook board. Um, When I was talking about drinking water filters and reverse osmosis, you know, which are now $275 to get a great one certified covers almost a zillion chemicals um, and I guess 150 for a plumber to put it in one time and then maybe $40 a year for cartridge removal. And someone said to me, well, I'm, you know, I work in really poor areas and socioeconomically deprived and my husband's an engineer. And and after all this to do, she was angry that I was talking about this and telling other doctors to tell their patients. And I was so up in arms. I said, do you think poor people don't have a right to know what's available to them? Should they choose to put their money into a reverse osmosis water filter or not? I mean, it's almost ridiculous. You know, people spend money the way they choose to spend their money. And, you know, there are things that I can't afford. There are different brackets of life. But if people want to have clean drinking water and they want to stop spending lots more money on bottled water in case they're in an area where they have to do that, then why shouldn't they have access to that information? So her point sort of was taken, but not really, but really everyone should have the right to have good information about where to buy the right materials to clean up their lives in any way they want, from from inexpensive filtration systems to the more upfront costs of maybe a reverse osmosis, turns out they actually end up being the same price. Uh, you know, these drop-in filters and pitchers are not cheap, um, and so my argument is: get the filter that you you actually can live with for ten years. Um, And have much cheaper change out of cartridges, but it's the upfront costs that are kind of limiting. So, you know, I just want people to have information. What they choose to do with that, whether they choose to get their hair done, whether they choose to go to the gym or buy a special pair of shoes versus buying, you know, a $275 water filter, that's up to them. But we shouldn't limit our information just because we think they're too poor to afford it.
0: So true. And when you think about the math, and I've heard people say, of course, you know, would you rather pay up front to remain healthy? Or would you rather pay a lot more in lost time, lost work, lost quality of life when your health is already suffering?
1: Right. Right. And, and, and look, that's an argument that's very hard for people to wrap their head around because we're all trying to survive, right? We just had a pandemic, people have lost their jobs, people have, you know, lost their health insurance. I mean, I get that, but I also think that, you know, if you can buy into the argument that that these things matter, to make that argument, then I'm saying, you know, it's even cheaper to even put this machine in or something, something similar in terms of its efficacy, um, <clears> than <throat> buying something that's actually cheaper but has less effect. I'm not about the, you know, the low level. I like high yield things, you know, go big or go home, but that's okay. People don't have to have water filtration, but they should at least know that what it does and what are the other options that may be less costly.
0: Yes. And I know that you have collaborated with the environmental working group and their website before and on ewg.org. I know they have a pretty good, um, way to find information on your own local water quality is that right
1: yeah and so they have a tap water database which I think they're um actually upgrading recently or soon um and essentially you type in your zip code and it'll tell you some of the contaminants that they've discovered because remember this water information or maybe not remember but I'm telling you now water information is public it's public you are entitled as a homeowner who has public water um to actually have an annual report. You can get that anytime you want. You're required, you know, I mean, you're allowed to have it once a year. And um, so really what they're almost doing is kind of incorporating what the findings are for that locale into a a database. And it's interesting because I'm giving another talk on water and I actually did the database zip code and found that I have over like 1900 times the level of PFAS in my zip code um, than what's considered healthy or normal. Remember, there's no maximum contaminant level for PFASs yet. They're working on that in terms of government oversight. But again, that might add to the 92 chemicals versus the 95,000 that get into our water. So better than nothing for sure. Right, right. So
0: true. And and they have great other resources on that site. That's where every year they update the clean 15 or 13 or whatever number they land on. Yeah, dirty dirty dozen
1: clean 15 is for their you know, conventional produce, not organic, and they measure the uh, pesticide residues across the country on the most common produce, vegetables and fruit. And every year they have the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. The Dirty Dozen are the top 12 that really have the highest level of pesticide residues that you wanna actually try to either wash really well or to buy organic, and then the Clean 15 are really 15 that you could go conventional, not organic, and save money if you feel that that's helpful. Um, And almost every year it comes up with strawberries, spinach, kale, anything with the skin, all the berries. Those are always laden with lots of pesticide residue. So those are the ones that I actually encourage my patients um, and people online to really think about getting organic, even if they're frozen organic. Wonderful way to get cheaper organic produce is, you know, through frozen organics because they're flash frozen, they maintain all their nutrient value. So you can actually go from what you consider healthy and well and fresh, which may have traveled actually quite a distance and maybe not as nutrient rich, but frozen organics is a wonderful way to do it. But just make sure you transfer from the freezer glass or stainless steel to heat up or to do anything you're going to do with it.
0: Right, right, and avoid that, avoid that heat situation where the yeah, plastic, molecules of the plastics, not good, not good. Molecules of plastics. I made a new word. Yeah. And um and also I am guessing when you mentioned earlier or as I was looking into the work you did with Princeton High School and having the kids actually look at the sources of ingredients and see how does this rate? That that's another really amazing tool that they put together as well and turn the teenagers loose on that when you go shopping. Yeah, right? have them it was
1: do it great experience to talk. You know, I threw the tampons at the jocks and the Axe body spray at the the girls and everyone giggled, but it was such a good moment of, you know, you know, discomfort or being uncomfortable. But then again, we're all in this together, boy, girl, or whatever, you know, he, she, anyone, we all have a right to know what's on our body, what's in our body. Feminine care products, we should be thinking about a Mm -hmm. lifelong exposures to tampons that have tons of chemicals. Um, we should really be thinking that. And it doesn't mean that it's just a girl's issue. It means that it's it's a boy's issue too. They have tons of stuff they throw on. I mean, I have two tween boys and the stuff they want to buy and the stuff I have to fight with them over. I said, let's look it up because the smell goes all the way through the kitchen, from the shower. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, how do these smells make it all the way to the kitchen? Well, because phthalates are involved. So I have yes. to negotiate with them. Um, so it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. It's not easy. Don't think it is. But you know, once you get down to your products that you know are safe and you can live with, you're done. And you can keep checking them every year because formulations do change, but at least that website is evergreen. And that was the basis of the book. Let's give tools that are online so that if things change and formulations change, they're not getting old information.
0: Exactly. And um, just in case, like phthalates is a word that people haven't attached to yet. But as you were discussing, BPA helps to make plastics more rigid. Phthalates helps to make them softer. So they're in all the squishy, right? Shampoo bottles and everything else. But they also, through the magic of science, make fragrances, make scents stick to the products, which I find fascinating. So they're so pervasive in the things that we're literally putting all over our body
1: right it, it gives them more shelf shelf life in terms of odors in terms of fragrance and it also actually locks in coloring cosmetics so phthalates are used in all of the products that we literally put on our skin on our face on our hair shampoo conditioner aftershaves anything with a fragrance or perfume if you literally look at the label and it says fragrance or perfume that is a, um, a a proprietary blend of chemicals that are not even um, required to be disclosed to the consumer. So there can be upwards of a couple hundred, three hundred, four hundred, whatever number of chemicals in just the word fragrance or perfume on a cosmetic label. So I do encourage people to consider going fragrance free. Or at least finding i mean i have a perfume that i get you know and i looked it up and it's it's like a zero one or two i can't remember on ewg's database the skin deep database so i use perfumes of different flavors but they've been vetted so once you find what you need and it's safer you can you can find things with fragrance but in general cleaning products personal care products anything with the word fragrance or perfume has hidden chemicals intentionally And they're not required to be tested before they go into those products that will end up on our surfaces, our our tables, our dust, our pets, our kids, you know, it becomes something and usually it's dust that gets into our, um, our animals and, and through our skin.
0: Yes. And, um, I know we're, we're tight on time, but I want to bring up one more topic that I, I have seen you address also, and that is the greenwashing that some of these manufacturers are figuring out because people are waking up. And, and we do recognize that to a point, you know, is if it's closer to nature, it's probably healthier for us. Um, as I was studying technical theater and design and scenic construction in the mid and late 90s, um, Monona Russell was an industrial hygienist that was working through a lot of the theater shops and training the staff about the hazards of what we were using in the shop. And she used to say, by God or by Goodyear, it'll kill you just as quick. Oh, and sure. that has always stuck with me because there are some things that are natural that can be very harmful. Um, not everyone can tolerate limonene, but it's a product that's in a lot of quote-unquote, right. natural cleaners that can be very, you know, it can be harmful to people. So um, so that's something else that I think is, is worth mentioning, you know, so, because now <laughs> they're had, saying natural fragrance. But.
1: Right, I've had 100% natural, you know, uh, I think it was a soap or a cream, and it made me break out. It doesn't mean that the actual components were industrial, they weren't petroleum-based, um, but my per- personal bot, my body did not react to it. So you can have those issues, But you can also have the things that don't smack you in the face, that don't give you a rash, that don't make you feel like, oh, I don't know, I have less estrogen. You know, they're they're subtle. And those are the low level exposures, parts per million, parts per trillion that add up over time. The same way, by the way, hormones work in parts per million, parts per trillion. So our body has conserved over millions of years the ability to signal throughout the body through hormones that these chemicals now can mimic disrupt, block the receptor site. I mean, there's just a lot of different ways in which they um, cause problems, which is why they're called endocrine disruptors. In fact, I just um, interviewed on my podcast for The Smart Human, um, Dr. Pete Myers, um, who is, John Peterson Myers, but Pete Myers who wrote Our Stolen Future, um, and which is another great book, but he he really was one of the people that coined endocrine disrupting chemicals 30 years ago. And I said, how brilliant is that? You discovered and named a set of chemicals that you didn't even know in how many ways they could disrupt. You know, it wasn't like endocrine mimicking chemicals. It was endocrine disrupting because there's lots of different ways, excuse me, ways these chemicals can um, disrupt the signaling between one thing to another. So I thought that was pretty brilliant of him.
0: Yes, and I'm, I'm so glad that, that these voices are coming together and the books are available. I mean, it's not like we haven't had them to draw from from the last 10, 20 years, but, but we can, as we tune in to what's happening and start to make change, we can educate ourselves, start at The Smart Human. It's a brilliant website with so many great resources lots of short videos, you know, it, digestible pieces, because this has been a lot of information in a fairly short window of time. So don't let it just make your head spin and feel yeah. overwhelming. Um, we tend to get really angry about things that are beyond our control. Right. But if we start paying attention to what is within our control, we can start to recognize that we can make shift happen. And then we have to
1: start where we are. I use the serenity prayers. The first the first quote in this book, because we have to know what we can control and what we can control and have the wisdom to know the difference because otherwise we waste energy. So that is exactly how I want people to think. Don't get overwhelmed. Pick one topic, maybe one topic a month if it takes that yeah. and work your way through it to a place you're comfortable. So there's no rush. It's better to get it right than to get it quick.
0: Beautiful. And so, um, I, I, do encourage everyone to check out Dr. Ailey Quinn's website, the the smart human and sign up for her newsletter, get information, come into your inbox, get these digestible nuggets to keep you coming back to good current information. And I thank you again so much for your time and joining me today. This has been such a treat.
1: It is my pleasure. And thank you for all the work that you do to promote all of this information and through the channels that you, you work with, because honestly, it takes a village. So I appreciate that as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take care.
0: Thank you for tuning in today. Check out the show notes for any links we mentioned. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit HappifiedLife.com. And if you found value in today's episode, make sure you subscribe to catch the next one and leave a review to help fellow pod surfers find Hapified. Until next time, keep on shining.